Just so you know, I'm well aware of the time. And just so you know, it doesn't matter to me. No, I know that the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. Which is why we gave you padded seats, right? So, so you ought to be good for at least 20 minutes, right? Give me that much, right? So I'm, I'm going to be very careful about uh, trying to be relatively concise. But I also want to make sure that... Uh, I deliver what I really feel like we need this morning. We have been in this study of Job, and I, there's so much here. I mean, it is 40-plus chapters and so much dialogue, and we've talked about a lot of things. Last week, we talked about Job's um, conversations with his um, unhelpful friends Right, and with friends like that, this kind of was the idea of the message. And then, this, and today, I want, I'd like to go to a little bit deeper place with Job and um, talk about when the darkness closes in. We all go through seasons of struggle. We go through times of difficulty. We experience tragedy or setback or pain. But when that becomes prolonged, when it's not like feeling better, when we don't rebound like we feel like we should have and we're sitting there feeling guilty because we don't feel better about it because, you know, Christians are supposed to be joyful, right? And so when we go through stuff that wounds us and hurts us and we don't come back from that and we sit there thinking, Like I'm in this bad place right now. I'm in a very dark place. And sometimes it feels like it's lasting way too long. And you kind of get into this and you look back and you're like, like I can even identify when it happened and I can't get out of this. And what do I do now? I'm in this darkness when the darkness closes in. Job said in chapter 30 in verse 26, this is after his three big dialogues with his friends, and he is, he is voicing his, his anguish and, and, and his, his attempt to understand what's happening in his life. And he says this, when I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. Like he was looking for something to hope about or something to to make him feel better, to drag him out of that pit. The word darkness is used 97 times in the Old Testament, 40 of them in the book of Job. That's significant. Other words that are similar to darkness in Scripture would be downcast. Brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, mourning. You get the idea that this is a thing. Like it happens. We're, we're notified through scripture that this is part of life. Look at David. King David. Probably the most famous king of Israel. Often was troubled and battled deep despair. You'll read, you'll read his Psalms, and it's like he starts off in the mully grubs. Like he starts off like he's, like he's absolutely in a bad place, and he ends the Psalm like he's sounding like a cheerleader for God. 
It's like the swing of emotions this guy had were incredible. And here's what is so encouraging to me is that later God calls David a man after his own heart. How does that sync with what we know about him as an individual? Yet Elijah that got discouraged. If you know much about Elijah, he was an incredible prophet of God in the Old Testament. The people of Israel had strayed and they were serving another God. And so he challenged the, the, the 400 prophets of Baal to a contest to call down fire from heaven. Long story short, God won. Fire comes down, licks up the offering, licks up the water, does everything. They kill all the prophets. Raise your hand, big day, fist pump, woohoo! And then a woman threatens his life and he runs away and tells God, I just want to die. He was discouraged and weary and afraid. Oh, and by the way, the angel of the Lord came to him. You know what the angel of the Lord did? Cooked him a cake and told him to eat and go back to sleep. Sometimes you just need to take care of yourself, is what I'm saying. He woke up again. You know what the angel of the Lord did? Cooked him another cake. Cake is good. Where are all my paleo friends in here? (laughs) Jonah, a prophet of God, gets angry, right? At what God was doing in the hearts and lives of people, and he ran away. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Naomi changed her name from Naomi to Mara because she said, I'm so bitter. Folks, this is a thing. This happens And I don't know where you are right now in life. But Jesus didn't leave you there. Like he is not interested in you staying there. When doubt and discouragement become this dark pit that seems to continually implode on itself. Whether it's grief or hurt or pain or misery. I have a friend in Florida. We went to college together. He's a pastor. I don't understand why God is allowing him to go through what he, in my opinion, is a modern-day Job. But for the last three to four years, he has lived with pain that is at an 8 to 10 level almost continually. He's been to Mayo Clinic. He's had... He's had more operations than I've got toes and fingers, and he's just constantly in pain. He's lost several hundred pounds. He's just a skinny thing. And he turns 50 in a few weeks. I don't understand all of that, but he's been in a very dark place for a very long time. And it becomes this dark pit that we in. And I know this, and please hear me. There are no simple answers when you're there. And, and my, one of my biggest fears this morning is for you to think that, that I'm going to give you some, some how-tos and these, you know, these little glib solutions. I know that that's not possible. But I also felt like it was important that we address this because that's where he was. That's where Job was. And I know it's a really real thing for us to deal with when we feel like our season of darkness is becoming permanent. And like we don't know how to get out of this. 
And well-meaning friends tell us they know how we feel. That's a boatload of crap. Because they don't know how we feel. And don't tell me you know how I feel because now it minimizes how I feel. And I don't even want you to tell me that you understand how I feel. Or I don't want to hear that you know somebody who went through what I went through and they did these great things. I don't want to hear that. I just want you to love me. I want you to pray with me. I want you to hurt with me. I want to get out of that. I don't like being who that, and I'm not talking about me. I'm thinking metaphorically. But I don't want to be here, right? I want to get out of this. And so I hear you. And my goal is to give you some things that aren't psychobabble, like that aren't just things out there that you can grab off the internet, that these are things that I believe are biblically based potential solutions for you to get you out of those dark seasons of life when the darkness doesn't seem to lift. So let me quickly give you a couple of things here. The first thing is, I think you need to pour out your heart. I think you need to tell God exactly how you feel often, many times throughout the day. Be as honest with him as you possibly can. He can take anything you want to dish out. You don't have to talk spiritual to him. Okay, be real, be authentic, be genuine with how you feel. Tell them, describe what the hurt feels like. David said in Psalm 69, he said, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. How real is that? That's not dear heavenly father. I thank thee for all of the blessings. No, that's like, this is how I feel, God. Get it out of your heart like... Like, just pour out your heart to God. Because here's the truth. God is the very one who can help. And these are the very times we need him the most. But for some reason, why are we like this? For some reason, we feel like we only come to God when we got it all together. God's not impressed with your togetherness, okay? God sees the things that you don't see even when you think you got it all together. God wants a relationship with you 24-7, and he wants to know how you're feeling. You're not going to surprise him. He's not going to go, oh, I didn't know you felt that way about it. He already knows, right? So, so share with him. Get it out of your heart. Pour out your heart to him. David said this in Psalm 55. He said, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. I love that word sustain. It's the, it's the Hebrew word, word kuel. It means to nourish or to maintain or to strengthen and feed. So you cast your burden upon the Lord and you just literally hurl it to him many times during the day, 24-7. And and what David is telling us here is when you do that, God has the ability to nourish your soul. God's not a genie in a lamp. He's your heavenly father. He's not going to grant you three wishes. He's going to be there for you. He's going to meet your needs. 
And your well-being and your wholeness and your healing is as important to him as it is to you. So pour out your heart to your heavenly father. And then, second of all, get out of your own head. Your mind can be a pretty scary place to be, right? Like if we only knew what was going on up there. It's like we don't want, and I, and I get it. Like I, so I'm in a position, obviously, like I'm pastor, right? So who do I tell my stuff to? Ain't going to be you, I can tell you that right now. You'd stop coming to church. Just say it. Be glad for what you don't know. But it's like we, we need community. It's important to gain perspective from other people. And as we said last week, what you're going to learn is you don't have to believe everything you think. Right? Because that can be a very dangerous place to live. I would encourage you to, to meet with a friend or, or a trusted counselor. Maybe join a group or talk to somebody that you trust. In addition to pouring out your heart to God, not in place of. Because let me tell you, even if you come to see me, which may not be your best thing to do anyway, I can't be what God can be for you. And let me tell you, husbands, your wife can't be that either, and wives, your husband can't be that either. We are men at best, like we are ill-equipped to meet the needs of the soul. And so I would say this thing with other people should be done in conjunction with pouring your heart out to God. Write this down somewhere. We are made for relationships. God did not think it was a good idea for you to go through life alone. What? Did he, what? So he creates man, and he goes, you know what? It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make someone for him to do life with, and I'm going to give them the ability to make a bunch more of them. Thank God. So God put people together on purpose, and you look at the early church and how they, how they did life together. It looks so much different than how we do church today. You come to a church service and you sit in a row and you listen to me speak and then you go home. You're not getting to know each other. That's why you need to be a part of a community group. You need a, you need a, circles are better than rows. Get to know people. Do life with each other. I know they're strange, but you are too. <laughs> right? I know, like out of, out of 20 people in a group, yeah, yeah. I mean, the average might be okay. But ain't none of, them, none, none of them are hitting a home run, right? It's like, on average, we might get base hits enough to score a couple times, but we're not really all that. But you do life together. We're made for relationships. We're made for community. It ought to be normal that we know the names of each other's kids and that we do life and we take things over and we're there when they need us rather than calling a church secretary saying, hey, I need you to send flowers to so... No, it ought to be just like a natural outflowing of the relationships that you have with people. The institution of the church is never what God had in mind. 
The church is you and just doing life with each other. That's what it's all about. Galatians chapter 6, Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, and he gave them these two really weird verses. I put them out for you this way so you can take a look at this because it's confusing. He says in one place, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says a couple verses down, every man shall bear his own burden. What's up with that, Paul? Do you have a bipolar moment there? Schizophrenia much? Unfortunately, the King James translates two different words with the same word. Like so, you actually had two different Greek words here that, Paul, that, that, that when Paul wrote this, that when the King James translators translated it, they did both of them as burden. The first burden is called beros. That is, that's an extra load. That's like, like you're just going to like... Okay, so, so, so the, second, the second one there where it says every man shall bear his own burden, that is, it's pronounced in the Greek for teos, but it looks like portion, which is where we get the word for portion. So the idea is then, verse 5, where he says every man should be able to bear his own portion. Like these are just burdens of life. Like you got to, Make a living. You got to do, everyone should bear your own portion, what you, but then he said there's other times when, in verse two, there's extra loads put on you. Like, think of it, and I heard this as an illustration. So like every, every GI, every person on the field, every soldier has his own pack that he carries. That's his responsibility. They don't share that load. It's what he's supposed to do. But every once in a while, you got a couple guys that got together and haul something together. All right, that's, that's the burden, that's the forteos, that is, that is uh, I'm sorry, that's the beros, that's, that's the bear you one another's burdens, when it's more than what we can bear. So what I'm saying is there are sometimes when there are burdens to bear and other times there are burdens to share. And you might be in that place in your life right now where the sharing part is what you gotta have. Number three, control your thoughts. This is where most of us struggle the most. We can't allow ourselves to entertain negative thoughts, (laughs) even if they might be true. And I don't mean that to be funny. Like negative, there's truth is truth. And so if there's negative thoughts happening, it could actually be true. Or even if you have been wronged, or even if that really did happen, all right, it still may not be healthy to dwell on. And you need to control your thoughts. Thoughts can be life or death, and we're looking for health. So we must replace negative thoughts with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. That's what we need in our lives. That's what we need to be reinforcing. But let me tell you this. It takes practice, and it takes preparation. Because the truth of the matter is, we're not used to being able to control our thought life For some reason, we've grown up with the mentality that, well, you know, I can't help what I think. Oh, yeah, you can. Sure you can. You have to train your brain, right? You have to retrain your brain. I love what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He said, said, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I love that word, every captivity. It means to be led away like like a captive, like you are, okay, nope, I can't, nope, that's, I can't think that. I got to put that over here. Nope, that's not me. Not to embarrass her, but in my daughter's bathroom, 
There is, I'm not going to tell you everything that's in there. But in my daughter's bathroom, she has sticky notes on her mirror with Bible verses on it. Makes me happy as a dad. It's to remind herself of something that she needs. Can we do that? Like, it takes some preparation. Like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. These are some verses that will help. Let me put it somewhere. Maybe I should memorize it. Maybe I should put it on my dashboard. Maybe I should save it as a screensaver. Maybe I should put it on my mirror so I read that. It takes preparation and it takes practice, but you can control the thoughts that you think. And then finally, actively wait on the Lord. Actively wait on the Lord. While you are waiting for understanding or while you are waiting for encouragement or while you are waiting for peace, Here's a few things I suggest that you do while you wait. You should actively be waiting on the Lord. So while you wait, how about you do good things? How about you do good things? Like just do stuff. I was talking with Scott Wagner. He's the guy with the crappy Steeler jersey on today. He walks with a limp just like their team. And he's not in here so I can be brave. But he's been involved in two serious car accidents in the last couple of years. His back is a mess. He's on pain meds, which is why he's a little bit out of his gourd. But I love Scott. I was talking this morning with tears in his eyes. He's like, and I just was thanking him for being here. He's like, yeah, where else would I want to be? He said, I can be in pain here or I can be pain at home. And I realize, listen to me, please hear me. I'm not being glib. I know there are times when you got to take a break, okay? I'm not saying that you should come in a stretcher, although we do have plugins if you need things like that. I'm just saying, while you are waiting, maybe do some good things. Maybe do things that you remember you feeling good about and maybe could be that when you do the right stuff, you'll feel the right way. Maybe when you do good stuff, it'll make you feel good. It's, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that that's an answer, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that's all you should do, but while you are waiting, maybe do some good things until you, you feel the way you're supposed to feel. Maybe we should do the stuff that we're supposed to be doing is all I'm saying. Instead of shutting everybody out, and hibernating, do good things. How about while you're waiting, you offer thanks? We won't spend a lot of time here. But we are told to, thank, to, 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 to always be thankful, right? And there's something to that. You say, well, I've got nothing to be thankful about. I know you feel that way. And I honor that. Because I'm not where you are. But may I just say that maybe you don't know your heart as well as you think you do. I'm going to say that again, because that's a powerful statement. Maybe you don't know your heart as well as you think you do. And I'm thinking what maybe you need to do is just start thanking God for things. And maybe it'll resonate somewhere deep inside. And it begins to light a spark and shed some light because you begin to see the light that's in your life rather than just dwelling in the darkness. 
Do good things while you're waiting. Be thankful while you're waiting. And then and I, here, confess to God. And I'm, I'm not one of these guys that thinks that because something bad, bad has happened to you is because you sinned, okay? But maybe, all right? I'm just saying, how about let's just check that possibility out? Let's, because I tell you what happens is we don't feel the way we want to feel sometimes because there's something inside of us that's not been confessed to the Lord. Hey, it's been forgiven, right? He loves you. He died for you. It's all taken care of, but it damages you if it stays in here. So confess that to the Lord. I love it. I love it. First John 1, 9, jot that down, right? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful verse. Thank God. So maybe there's something that needs to be confessed. David asked God, he said, search me and find out if there be any wicked way in me. It's a possibility is all I'm saying. Maybe don't sit and wait for joy. Maybe start doing that which makes for joy. Sometimes doing the right thing just makes you feel the right way. And I know there's no simple answers. But I know this resonates with a lot of people. I love what, what, what David said in Psalms. He said this, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you. He didn't say if. So it's, it happens, right? When I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you. We say we have a Savior that understands your pain and knows about every weakness and hurt that you experience. Let's go to him. Let's partner with him in this. And he reaches out to you this morning with compassion and hope and love. And I'll leave you with this verse. Philippians 1.6. He which has begun a good work in you will, come, will complete it or will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not done. This is just a period of time here. We can get out of this darkness. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for the encouragement of Scripture. Thank you that we're not the only ones who have felt this way. Thank you that you are a very real God that is compassionate and caring and wants to walk with us through this and help us as we genuinely feel the way that we do begin to look for a way out of the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.